Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Pray that we will be a healthy church, not just for our sake, not because I like to avoid conflict, would rather live in peace and harmony, but because what we do as a church just like what we do as individuals, reflects who you are and what you do and what you want to do. It's so much bigger than us. So I pray that our hearts are aligned with yours. The prayer of Jesus that we would love one another. The prayer of Jesus that we would be united, that we'd be one just as the Father, Son, and Spirit are. And this I pray in his name. Amen. All right, well, today I want to talk about the necessity of humility. And uh, I warned Joe last night about making some changes. And Sharon, I'm, I'm putting you under the light. This is not your fault. This is mine. So if anything goes wrong during this, it's on me, not her. So at staff meeting, remember, just blame me. So the necessity of humility and gentleness, part one, means that there's a second part, but I won't be here next week, so who knows when you'll get to hear part two. So uh, what we're really trying to do is to manipulate you. Part two is in until next August, but you have to come back every week. Just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but Sharon, if you could put up, I think it's the slides, um, the multiverse slides, Ephesians 4.1, and then there you go. Beautiful. See, she is talented and skilled. Thank you very much. And uh, beautiful. I did the PowerPoint all this week myself. Cut and paste. Thank you. All right. Ephesians 4.1, the multiverse. And this is the several versions put together that I've shared with you many times. It's the Amplified Version, the New Living Translation, the NIV, and the NASB. And it reads this way. Therefore, I, the prisoner for serving the Lord, appeal to you, implore you, urge you, beg you to live, to walk, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have received, having been called by God. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. Always, with complete and all humility, forsaking self-righteousness, and gentleness, maintaining self-control, with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love or making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, being diligent to keep or preserve the oneness or the unity of the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace or in the bond of peace, each individual working together to make the whole successful. That's the multiverse. And again, I would encourage you uh, in your quiet times, if you ever do the verse of the day, just to take the different versions to get a real flavor. Because when I I read just even the first words, that sense of imploring and begging and urging sort of gives a sense of urgency to what Paul is about to share. But we'll get into that a little bit later. How many of you would agree that the world that we live in is a world filled with conflict? I mean, you would have to have your head buried in the sand if you do not realize that conflict is all around us. We have 
international conflict, right? What we see in the Ukraine is conflict. There is war. People are literally fighting and dying, even at this moment while we sit here in our comfortable place in the United States of America. There's national conflict. Would you not agree? It is an election year. And boy, I promise you, two years from now, it's going to get even more heated, right? There's national conflict. There's political conflict, which is the same in many ways as the national conflict that we experience. There's church conflict. I would love to tell you that all of us here today, as part of the church, are happy with one another. We have no complaints. We have no concerns. We have no issues. I'd be lying. There is church conflict. There may even be church conflict coming because as we look to the future and see what we want to do with the building, how we want to do the building, how we want to use it, there will be a variety of perspectives that will lead to conflict. And ultimately, there's interpersonal conflict. Is there anyone here, and it's very possible, who right now is at peace with everyone in your world? Don't raise your hands because we don't want to judge you because we may be stuck in a lot of conflict. Conflict is everywhere. Now, conflict is not necessarily evil. You can have a different perspective and eventually come together. But conflict is inevitable when you deal with people. Now, here's a bunny trail. I found this very interesting. I read this week that, uh, I don't remember if it was a philosopher or a scientist, he said, there must be life in other parts of our universe. And his reason was, is because it's intelligent life, by the way. Not just life, but intelligent life. It must be because that's why they haven't visited us. They look at us and they go, look at all that conflict. We don't want those people getting off that globe. Leave them there. His point was, man, there's a lot of conflict that exists in our our world. So, what we need to deal with, hopefully, as followers of Jesus, how do we actually handle, or work through conflict? How do we get through that which is inevitable? How do we represent Christ in the midst of the conflicts that we live in? So what I want to do today is I want to look at at least three types of people who exist in the world when it comes to conflict. Our first one is what we call a peace faker. A peace faker. Now, a peace faker is this. In conflict, this person acts like there is peace when there really isn't. And they avoid conflict as much as possible. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want you to get abused. But I will at least admit openly, I am a peace faker. Absolutely a peace faker. I do not enjoy conflict um, the, one of the reasons why I don't enjoy conflict because I'm afraid of the monster that it might release because of the anger that gets built up and then you express it. So I avoid a lot of conflict because I don't want to get angrier and make the whole situation worse. The peace faker is just someone... Oh, we went a little too far there, sister. Um, all the way back to maybe the third slide or not. But the peace faker is someone who will avoid conflict at all costs. And so, in some ways, the peace faker is someone easy to abuse. And if you're a peace faker and you're trying to keep away from expressing how you really feel, you could be in a very dangerous spot. Second person is a peace breaker. In conflict, this person attacks the other person. That's the key. I want us to get there is that. They attack the other person in the midst of conflict. Now... 
Many times they do this in order to prove their point or defeat or crush the person they have conflict with at that moment. I want to make a confession. I could be a peace breaker. How many of you love to argue and win? Come on, really? How many of you love to argue and lose? Don't you, don't you love to tell those stories? I was once in an argument with someone, and they made a point so good, I was blown out of the water. I just realized I'm such... No, no one's like that. We always tell the story, I remember this. A peace breaker is someone who wants to win. I love to win arguments. That's dangerous. Uh, the person, in fact, the peace breaker may or may not look for conflict, but when it comes, they come out swinging. They're abrupt. They're abusive. They tell it like it is. In other words, the peace breaker is, listen, I have a perspective. It's the right perspective. It doesn't matter what your perspective is. This is the right one, and you better listen. A peace breaker is someone who's not looking for peace. They're just looking to be Right? And if you're a peace breaker in a relationship and you're always looking to be right, your relationships will not be in a good place. That's toxic. Even more clearly in Christian terms, that's sin. Because Jesus calls us not to be peace fakers, not to be peace breakers, but to actually be peacemakers, as he talks about on the Sermon on the Mount. What is a peacemaker? A peacemaker in conflict, a peacemaker seeks to listen, understand, and resolve the conflict in order to bring people together. It's rooted in who Jesus is. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus brings us peace with God. Jesus brings us peace between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the message that he wants us to preach is one of peace. How we can have peace with God, how we can have peace with one another. And so what is rooted in this Ephesians 4 passage that we've just read is the fact that it is about peace in many ways, a peace that Jesus and Jesus only brings. And it is related to who Jesus actually is. So if we look at the context of Ephesians as a whole, one of the themes is peace. The whole first chapter talks about how we have this peace. And the second chapter goes into how we have peace with God through Jesus. And then the remaining chapter and a half talks about how the Jews and the Gentiles have come together in peace. And so when Paul gets here to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and Sharon, if you could do me a favor, go back to that. It says, Therefore, I, the prisoner for serving the Lord. And what he's saying is quite simply, listen. You've seen the theme. Jesus is about peace and bringing peace, bringing salvation, bringing healing, because salvation and healing are very similar words. He says, Jesus brings that. Now, when you've seen all of those things that Jesus has done about bringing people to God and then bringing people together, then I'm going to beg you, I'm going to implore you. And, and what I like about the multiverse is it gives us versions, and I'm going to say something that might be considered heresy, for once, I think the Amplified Version got it better than all the rest. So now if you're a Bible scholar, you're like, man, the Amplified Version is like, <laughs> is that even Bible? It is. But here, this one says, the NLT says, always be humble and gentle. The NIV says, be completely humble and gentle. The New American Standard, close but not fully there, says, with all humility and gentleness. But 
the Amplified says, with all humility, forsaking your self-righteousness and gentleness, maintaining self-control. See, what, what the Amplified version is, is bringing out to life these really important attitudes of humility and gentleness. And both the New American Standard and the Amplified say all humility. When I looked at all humility, I said to myself, when I'm looking at the translations, that's kind of weird. Why, why is that there? That doesn't make sense. And so if you go to Bible Gateway and there's something called the Munz uh, version, it's an interlinear version, and I looked there, and actually the word all is in there. It's in the Greek text. So when Paul writes this, he says all humility. Why? I asked him, why were you writing this? Because I think Paul already knows how much each and every one of us struggles with pride. I'm not sure I've ever met someone who is so fully humble that they never struggle with pride. I struggle with pride all day long. Fighting within myself to make sure that that which I think that I think is right isn't necessarily right. How I can sometimes think that I am better or I think better or I do things better. It's a constant struggle. And so I wonder, does Paul really understand the human condition so well that he says, all humility, everything within you, everything, that's the kind of humility that you are supposed to live this life which is worthy of the calling unto which God has called us, one which is of unity, one which is of peace, the bond of peace, coming together, not because we have a similar purpose, not because we have a similar plan, but because we have a similar heart that is connected to and aligned with God. Because to God, sin is serious. And for Jesus to say, love one another like I love you, to say, I pray that you would be one like I and the Father are one, is to say, this really matters to me. This is really important. Because if the church is not united, then how will people know that Jesus is real? Because Jesus says, how will people know that you'll know me? Because you love one another and because you are one. This is serious. And so Paul here is writing in Ephesians and he says, you must have all humility and all gentleness to form this bond of peace with one another as the world looks at you and says, is your faith for real? Do you really believe what you believe? For a second, I thought you were going to throw a bottle at me. <laughs> I was getting ready to catch it. Thank you, sir. So what does it mean? Humility. Now, I think when you're a, if you were an ancient Greek or an ancient Roman, you looked at humility and you said, dude, that is like such a weak, sissy-type attitude. Humility reminded them of the cowering slave who would sit there. How many of you guys like watch Harry Potter? Right? And uh, what's his name? Wormtail, Right? You ever see Wormtail? Does anyone remember where Wormtail is? Any, you're like, Worm what? Uh, Wormtail. He's the kind of guy, and he's the little cowering, and he's trying to suck up to Voldemort, and he's just sitting there, and everything is cowering. And so the Romans and the Greeks would say, yeah, that's humility, bro. That's, that's weakness. It's horrible. That's not the Christian idea. In fact, and almost I would say, and this is, not, this is my interpretation, to the Greek and the Roman, to call one of them humble was an insult. How dare you call me humble? Does that sound like today? Say, no, no, people aren't like that today. I would encourage you to read Facebook. <laughs> and you will see there is a lack of humility there. 
There's a lot of pride. So Paul, understanding the human condition, also understands the condition of who Jesus is and this humility that Jesus has. If you turn to Philippians 2, you don't have to turn to now, but turn there later, you would see that it is totally different perspective what humility is. The humility that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4 is the kind of humility that lifts other people up and doesn't put self down. It's a lifting up of other people. That's your focus. That's your goal. I am humble. I will lift you up. Not I will talk down to myself. You know, it's, it, when you look at Jesus, it's not like Jesus who would sit there and say, oh, I'm, I'm humble, but, you know, I'm not really a good savior. I just didn't save everyone. I'm just, you know, that's not the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus is I am the savior. <coughs> just a, now you're all awake. <laughs> that's the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus is he came to lift up. To lift people up. Real humility says, you know what? I am who I am. You know, if, if and it, you know, um, Matthew's not here, but I'll, I'll do a LeBron thing just for him, okay? If Matthew, if Matthew, if LeBron says, I am one of the greatest basketball players ever, he would be speaking truth. Mind you, Matthew's not here, so I can say he is not the best, but if he were, I might fudge a little. Is that a lack of humility? No, it's, a la- it's reality. He is. If you ever watch him play, he is. He's an astounding basketball player. That's a true statement. <coughs> Sorry. One moment, please. <coughs> you know, I haven't coughed for two days. As soon as I get up here, I stop coughing like crazy. I'm going to wonder what that is for. That is truth. He is. No one can deny that. When he comes and he plays and he lifts other people up, now you have a sense of humility. You see, Jesus, when he came, didn't walk around and say, I'm better than all of you, though he very well could have. What he came to do was to lift people up, to lift them out of their poverty, not only the physical but spiritual poverty, and bring them to a place where they knew God. Because that's what humility is. It's seeing someone is important. When Jesus views us, he views people who have worth and who have value. And Paul will say in Philippians 2, to see one another as more important. So true humility is not putting yourself down. True humility is lifting others up. And the power of that is, is that the, the, the picture or the image that I want you to get is not of someone sitting underneath doing this, but it is of someone who is here and is pulling someone up, lifting them up, making them better. Because Jesus does not walk around and say, I'm not good enough. He says, I am perfect. And in, in light of that, when we're dealing with conflict, what we need to see is humility says, you are important. I value you as a person. We may not necessarily value their perspective because it could be different or it could even be wrong, but I value as a person. And I will humbly listen to what you have to say. I will be gentle with you because gentleness even of itself (coughs) is the idea of power under control. Do you remember when when Jesus was there and he he was talking about, you know what, if I really wanted to, I could call a legion of angels down here and deal with the issue. And I could crush the Romans in a heartbeat. His gentleness, his power under control was to say, I'm not going to do this. Because God has a better and different plan 
And this is the plan we're going to follow, even though I could crush you like a bug. I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking about what would it be like to be the god of the ants? Now, I know some of you are Marvel fans and you're thinking about Ant-Man. I'm not talking about technology. But what would it really like to be the god of the ants? You know what I mean? Like, so big to stand over them and just tell them, dudes, man, go here, go there, do this. And, 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 and even if you're a good god to say the flood waters are coming, let's get you out of here and get you somewhere else where you could be safe. And the idea that that, that gets me is, is the sense that God is so vast, God is so big, and yet Jesus humbled himself for us. Why? Why do you do that? Because you have worth and you have value. And the idea that I think that I'm getting from Ephesians 4 is when Paul's talking about this oneness that we have in Christ, it's because as Christ saw others as valuable and important to deal or come together in peace, this bond of peace, we must recognize that everyone who sits in this room has value and worth and is important should be loved, should be listened to. From Perry and Edwin over there to Gary, I can't see who's behind Gary, but my apologies. Is that Dale? It is Dale. All right, all right, not too bad. And uh, Karen, oh, sorry, Drew over there, Drew. I don't want you to feel left out. Everyone here has value and importance. And so the, the cry of Paul's heart, this imploring, this appealing, this begging, this urging is based on the fact that we are all humble. We recognize two things. And I think you could slip to the slide here if you slip past verse 3. If I remember correctly, the next verse is... Please, please, please. One more. Well, here's the point. Walk with Jesus in humility and gentleness. Again, this is not on Sharon, this is on me, but the next one, sister. How do we grow in humility and gentleness? So I've given you, hopefully, the biblical understanding of what humility and gentleness is And now here, what do we do? We must grow in self-awareness. If you want to grow in humility, you have to grow in self-awareness. Know yourself in your weakness, and I put sinfulness. I'm I'm going to be honest with you. Like I told you last week, I'm a sinner. And like I've told you today, I can be filled with a massive amount of pride. And some people say, why do you always put yourself down? I heard that from last week. And it's not a matter of putting down. It's just being realistic. I'm just absolutely being realistic. I may not be the fully self-aware, but I look at myself and I say, man, I just sometimes question, am I really a follower of Jesus? Do I really love God like I say they do? And that's why we need this self-awareness because you have to recognize what? I fail. I fail people. I have failed many of you here in the same way that you have failed me. We then realize what? We both have issues. And again, I say this, it's a traffic thing, right? And you know this for sure, because when you're in that fast lane and you're passing up all those cars and you want to get in, the person who doesn't let you in is a jerk. But if you're in that long lane and you see people cutting, what? No way, man. That's rude. That's on your part. There is in us this real self-centeredness that thinks primarily about ourselves. And so what Paul is saying to the church is, Listen, I get the human condition. And my feeling and sense is when Paul says in 1 Timothy that he is the chief among sinners, it's because he's self-aware. This is who I am. And true humility then comes in, listen, if you offended me, (coughs) 
I need to be humble enough to realize I can be an offender of people as well, and I'm going to be more ready and willing to forgive for the sake of unity, for the sake of the body of Christ being one in peace, because I recognize who I am. If you've ever dated someone and they cheated on you, how did you feel? And, and maybe not. I mean, some of you I mean, might never have that experience. But the, but the sense is like, wow, how could you do that to me? You broke my heart. But it's not until you've actually done the same thing and broken somebody else's heart that you realize, now I get it. And it's that humility that says, I'm aware of myself. I am not better of you. I am a sinner in need of mercy and grace, just like everyone else here. If I'm going to realize it about myself, I should realize it about you and be willing to give you the mercy and grace that God gives you. Does that not make sense? Jesus gives me mercy and grace? Why? I don't understand that. I've been reading this book on progressive Christianity, and I kind of figure, you know, like everyone has a perspective on God, and I always sometimes, this really sounds bad. I'm not gonna, I really actually wanted to start my own religion at one time, but in my own time, I want to be God. I would love to go around the world crushing people. Sounds horrible, but I'm just being self-aware. I'm being honest because I just, people make me mad. I want to crush them. Is that a problem? It is, right? Sinfulness. Absolutely. Right? Why are you so hearty about that? <laughs> you want to grow in humility? Get to know yourself. Because once you get to know yourself, you go, wow, man, it really is possible. Wow, there are other people like me. And so there's a, there's, there should be within us this rising sense of mercy and grace to give mercy and grace to others. That is my vision of what the church should be like. That any messed up individual could walk into this church knowing they are messed up without the sense of everyone looking at them and going, wow, look at them. What they do, I would never do. Yeah, right, whatever. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you might not do it in action, but if you do it in heart, it's the same thing. Humility. Second thing, we need to grow in Christ's awareness. Remember his grace. I'll say it again, and I mean this. I am not looking for any sympathy or empathy or anything. I really do not know why God puts up with me. But he does. And I think about that, and I am astounded. Why? Because if you go back to me wanting to be God and to crush people, I'm not very patient and long-suffering, which is part two, which we'll look at some other time in the future. But God is. And that awareness of who Christ is and what he has actually done, not just for me, but for the world. He didn't come to save just me. And I know there's that one song that we sing, when you're on the cross, you thought of me. Man, I don't know about that. I'm sorry. I struggle with that because I don't think Jesus was thinking about just me on the cross. I mean, he's thinking about everybody. Billions of people. Trillions, maybe one day, depending on how long this all lasts. But he gives this grace and this mercy. And so Paul, I think, is sitting there saying, listen, guys, so much of the unity of the church depends on us understanding that Jesus came to give us peace with God and then to have peace with each other. 
Gentile and Jew doesn't make sense. Black and white, Chinese, Japanese, Ukrainian, Russian, on and on and on. If we can come together as the church as intended, what do people say? There is God. There's something real about that. So this is a serious issue. This necessity of humility, not only because it is the exact attitude and actions that Jesus took in becoming like us and lifting us up, but because it represents who we are as a body of Christ. And it really reflects what our oneness is. And so what I want to encourage us today is to understand that we must grow in our own self-awareness, recognizing who we are, and then in Christ's awareness, recognizing who he is and what he's done and how he takes care of all that to bring us together as a body in Christ. Let me finish with this. Conflict is inevitable, even in church. I wish I could say it isn't, but it is. How many of you ever have complained about a decision made by the board? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are about to, right? Right? Oh, man, I can't. I don't know why they did that. Why they... It's inevitable. Get it. I read a book this week about leadership and pain. If a pastor goes to a church and thinks he's not going to get criticized, he is delusional. Conflict is inevitable. Last week, we talked about the seriousness of broken relationships and sin. Jesus said, come and worship. No, leave. If you know you have offended somebody, please do not worship here. Go somewhere else and get that relationship reconciled and then come back. That was last week's message. Doesn't matter who you are, to come and worship and know that you've offended someone and not apologize, not happening. Worship isn't going to happen. If you've offended them or have been offended by someone, seek to get it right. You see, because Scripture does encourage us to forgive one another, but last week we emphasized the necessity of apology. If you have wronged someone, make it right. Those are the words of Jesus. Why? Because what he says is barriers prevent us from fully experiencing God. And then Paul would say barriers really keep us from fully experiencing the church community as it was intended to be. Unity is an important value in the kingdom of God. Now, today having talked about the necessity of humility and gentleness, how does this fit into ourselves? Here's the three things. And Sharon, I think these are my last three slides. To the peacemaker, it would say this. Is someone, is there someone you need to pray for? And what I mean is this. Has someone offended you and you haven't said anything? Stop faking the peace. Start praying for this person and start praying for reconciliation. Is there someone you need to confront? Eventually that needs to happen unless you're willing to drop the charges. For someone who has a tendency to hold grudges, as I can be, trust me, it affects you physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It's not worth it. And finally, is there someone you need to forgive? So if you're a peace faker, you may need to go through this process to one day get to a place where you have the conversation with the person and you say, hey, this is what you did. Now, I wish I could tell you in a perfect world, everyone's going to respond with, oh my, I cannot believe I did that. I apologize. Many people, unfortunately, will say, yeah, no. You misunderstood. Or they'll make excuses. Or they won't even say sorry. Or they don't even care. But Paul says to us, 
walk worthy with all humility. Even if someone never apologizes, our call is still to be peacemakers. Second thing, if you're a peacemaker, is there someone you need to apologize? I'm sorry, peacebreaker, my apologies. If you're a peacebreaker, is there someone here today that you actually need to apologize to? There are still people here that I have not caught up with that I need to apologize to. In fact, last week I was in such a hurry to apply that I actually apologized to someone on the run. That's a bad idea. Bad idea. I feel better. I apologize. All good. I think God says, "Mm, I don't think it works that way. If you have broken peace with someone and you are the one who has caused that problem, even if it's a 50-50 thing, you need to apologize. And I'll be honest with you, I think when Jesus says, you know what, when you come and worship at the altar, I don't think it's just at the altar. I just think it's any old time. If you're going to have a barrier and know that you've offended one, someone and not done anything about it, please, please make it right. And finally, for the peacemakers, is there someone you need to make peace with right now? And that's a combination of the two. And then are there people you might be able to bring together through reconciliation? You might know that there is someone out there that you have offended or has been offended by you and that what needs to happen is someone needs to bring you together. Because if you know there's a conflict and then do nothing about it, it's not good. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Not the kind of peacemakers that run in there and say, we're superior and we know everybody and we're going to tell you this and yada, yada, yada. It's not like sometimes when you're a parent and you're, you're trying to get your kids together and you're trying to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker will actually sit down and see how can we listen to one another? How can we understand one another? How can we apologize when we need to apologize and forgive when we need to forgive? Because the great value or one of the great values of the church that follows Jesus is unity because unity is tied into love and we are known for how we love one another. So, let me ask you this. When you look through these characteristics, you may be one of them. You may be a peacemaker at times, a peacebreaker at times, and a peacemaker at times. Where are you now? What is the trajectory of your life? What is God calling you to do as someone who would work, walk worthy of the calling that is on your life? To walk worthy. Because Jesus calls us to walk with him in all humility. To lift other people up. To make them better. I would say this is probably true for most parents. I would say this is true for me as a parent. I have always hoped that my children would be better off and even better than me. I'm not saying I'm superior to my kids. What I'm saying is, that is the desire of a follower of Jesus, is to, when I see a person, how can I make them better in Christ? Not just better, but better in Christ. And does that mean that I need to apologize because I've wronged them? Does that mean that I need to forgive them because they've wronged me and they've asked for it? There's a whole bunch of applications because in the end, The necessity of humility says this. This is how we follow Jesus. This is how the church comes together and fulfills the purpose that God has on our lives as we walk worthy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for me. I pray for our church. 
Be merciful to us. Be gracious to us. Grant that we might be united, not in our purposes and our plans, but in heart. Father, I want to thank you for amazing grace. Because amazing graces, I just stand amazed that you would give grace and mercy to people who over and over again reject that same mercy and grace. We do things our own way. We have trampled over people, sometimes maliciously. We have seen people get run over, and because we are angry or hold grudges, we rejoice. So much in our lives can be clouded by sin. So many barriers raised that keep us from knowing people heart to heart in Christ. And so I pray, Father, in our church as a whole, that you will begin to break down these barriers. That the language of apology will not be a foreign language in this church, but it will be a spoken language. A language which we become fluent with because we love each other and because we want to see barriers broken down and because we want to see unity of heart and mind aligned with your heart and your mind. Father, I want to thank you for this message that we find in Ephesians, how Paul is imploring us, appealing to us, begging us, urging us to reflect the reality of our relationship with Jesus by being humble. It takes a lot of humility to say, I'm sorry. Probably takes a lot more humility to say, I forgive you. I pray for us to be humble, not just for the sake of being moral examples, but because we really want to follow Jesus. We want to take to heart his words to follow him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.